Previously on Stargate SG-1. I'm afraid he's been captured by Sokar. Oh my god. If Salmak is still alive, he has been sent to hell. So we're talking about a rescue mission here. It's her father. She knows the stakes. But if Samantha could not recall how... I, I, it's been done before. It can be done again. Certainly not Emerald City. We've come to see Binar. Sir? Dad? Are you crazy? Uh, apparently. Sokar's fleet is ten times larger than we thought. There are transportation rings in Binar's quarters. Kneel before Neonak. You shall call me Neonak no longer. From this day forth, I will reclaim my real name. Apophis. And now, the conclusion. Welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Thad Haight. This week we're talking about Season 3, Episode 13, The Devil You Know. Eh, it's better than The Devil You Don't Know, I suppose. So true. Originally aired on the 29th of October, 1999, and was written by... It was written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Peter DeLuise. And we are also joined this week with not one, but two special guests, friends of the show... Devils we know. Yeah, they're perfect. Uh, Chris Holden and Ben Nielsen. Glad to be back. Glad to be back as well. So our synopsis from TV Guide, conclusion. Trapped in a prison <laughs> built to simulate hell, the team makes a daring escape plan. The synopsis from the Stargate Wiki is, SG-1 discovers that Apophis is a prisoner on Nitu and is planning a revolt against Sokar. Meanwhile, Teal'c goes to Vorash to seek assistance from the Tok'ra, but they have plans other than rescuing the team to stop Apophis. I don't know if I would call Apophis a prisoner. I think he, yeah, I think he's a prisoner. I, I'm, because I think the the first Prime is really just a prisoner that was picked. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so, starting with Chris, you've never seen this episode before. I have not. Did you watch Jolinar's Memories? I did not. I only saw the previously on Stargate at the beginning of the episode. Did that give you <laughs> enough information? <laughs> Let's find out. I sort of had to hit the ground running. I think I got the gist of most of it. Yeah. I'm a little curious about why this hell simulation exists, I guess. I don't know if that was in the previous episode or in like the larger aspect of Stargate lore. Uh, it's in the larger aspect that the the big bad in this scenario, Sokar, has taken on the persona of the devil. Mm -hmm. And so he found this planet with this moon, and he like wrecked the moon and turned it into a hellscape in order to like just like feed into that persona. And that's where he tosses all his prisoners. 
Okay. This is my first question for the crew. Mm-hmm. So, Apophis is Apophis because an alien told humans that Apophis was a thing, and then he became a legend. Did Sokar become the devil because we had already invented the devil and he thought that was cool? Or do we know of the devil because of earlier contact with Sokar? No, see, we talked about this recently. Uh, The Gould adopted the persona of established gods. Okay, so they basically came in and were like, I'd like to cosplay that superhero, please. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So the concept of Apophis (laughs) existed. And then, yes, Peter Williams came in and be like, yeah, I'll be that guy. Fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, and I don't think we ever get any, like, Greek or Roman gods being portrayed. Like, there's never, like, a... Kronos. Like, I don't think there's, like... Good call. Okay. And Apollo, thinking... right? When do we, we just don't Apollo? see him. Um, in the one in where Jack lives a full... Like, he is aging really quickly. Oh, they talk about Apollo, but I don't yeah. think Apollo was a... Well, he might I think we're to cool. presume he's a gold because he put all the nanites in all those people, right? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. Fair. Anyway, Chris? So the concept of hell existed, and then they emulated that by, like, cribbing off old Hieronymus Bosch paintings or something to create Me Too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> he's a collector. <laughs> but probably not Hieronymus Bosch, because it's established that the ghoul had not been back to Earth in thousands of years. So, Well... Okay. <laughs> we talked about that recently, too. Uh, some of them may have been back, like, 500 years ago. There you go. Yeah. That's perfect timing. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, the episode opens with a previously on, as always. Other than, I think, I think only, like, the very first time that we got a previously on, it was not narrated by Christopher Judge, but every time since, I think it is. Yeah, at least that I have noticed um, that, you know, fills on what happened in the previous episode other than perhaps the information that Chris was lacking, mm-hmm. although he didn't know what he didn't know. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And we are right back in what used to be Binar's quarters with our team on their knees and Apophis has just revealed himself. Phantom of the Apophis. Yes. <laughs> so did I miss Binar's death in the episode yes. prior? You didn't yes. miss much. You, you certainly did not miss that eye makeup, which is horrifying and should never be on television for people yeah, to see. Yeah, so we were just talking about, apparently it had been leaking pus for, like, two years, because that's how long Jolinar's been dead. I'm out. <laughs> Clap my hands, go done, I'm out. It's so gross. Yeah, no, it was very gross. Uh, yeah, uh, the gross Binar had uh, Sam in his quarters and was about to use the weird hand device thing on her when Karakesh ribbon device <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Naonak who then later revealed himself to be Apophis burst down the door and shot Binar in the back and like, gave no explanation no nothing he just hauled Sam back to the pit it was it was a weird scene yes so one of the first things that we hear in this after Apophis announces himself is Daniel saying I'm sorry to say your mate Amonet is dead Actually, I'm not sorry. Which is a little weird for Daniel to say. Because, like, that also means that Sharae is dead. His wife. It definitely, yeah, it definitely is. But I feel like that character gets to be a little, like, way too bold and aggressive. Specifically when he's talking about that situation. That's true. Plus, two weeks ago, he was already, like, over her and was interested in a mass murderer. <laughs> so... 
Right. As you do. He didn't he didn't know that she was a genocidal maniac when he started kissing her. <laughs> sure. It happens to the best of us. That's true. I hate when that happens. And then she ghosted him. It's <laughs> mm, true. This scene reminds me how much Peter Williams' performance set the like gold standard. Oh my across god! The entire yes. scene. When he said, "Your insolence is amusing to my ears," I was like, "I've missed you so much." <laughs> I know. <laughs> Peter Williams choose the scenery as Apophis so well and so incredibly awesomely. I that was probably well no because I'm just you know I'm using words that I don't need to use because I'm being bombastic like the Gould I guess uh, <laughs> and yeah no he does sort of set the stage for how the Gould behave and it, it it's so good mm-hmm. I presume everyone who's cast after this just gets like a mega cut of his scenes and they're like just do this and you'll be fine well that's I mean good. that's certainly what Cliff Simon did as ball mm-hmm. oh god but I feel like with with a lot of them, they're just sort of like, oh, so just be like an arrogant prick. Okay, cool. And it's like, well, no, but no, not, it's not just that. No, gravitas. <laughs> you gotta have yeah. a bit of swagger about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is like a, a megalomania to the performance that he clearly like bought what he was selling to everybody else. Oh, God, yes. Peter Williams' handle on Twitter is at actual Apophis. So, <laughs> like, yeah. he, he knows what he's about. Yeah, I was about to make that same comment. So after a little bit of, uh, you know, tete-a-tete with, with, with Apophis, they all get thrown back in the pit. Like you do. And you'll notice that they are sweating this episode. I did. <laughs> Most of the previous episode, they weren't sweating very much, even though they were on a literal representation of hell with, like, fire shooting out of well, the ground Jack and everything. As Jack said, it was a dry heat. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we talked about that last week. Anyway. They were all just in a vacation in Phoenix for an episode, and then it actually got <laughs> right. unbearable. Yeah. We find out that Jacob is burning up because, duh, he's in hell. <laughs> yes. I'm not entirely sure how like how well they can tell if someone has a fever in a situation like that. <laughs> it goes to the show you never can hell. Oh. If someone has a fever in hell when you put your hand up to their forehead, is it cold? And you're like, oh, God, this person. <laughs> now, who are the other people in hell with them? Because there's some extras in the background. Those were... Other people who displeased Sokar. Okay. Yeah, which basically we can tell basically means, like, existing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the people that you that matter to us that you definitely would not know, Chris, is there is Jacob. He is Samantha Carter's father. Although, I mean, that it gets... You can figure that out from the episode. Yeah. But he's also the host to a Tokra, which is a good gold. Yes. The other one with them is Martouf. He mm-hmm. is also a host to a good gold tokra and i can't remember what Lantesh. yes and jacobs yep. is Selmac. keep your eye on that martouf chris <laughs> he's all right <laughs> long time <laughs> listeners know of my intense thirst it's fine yes <laughs> it's true it's not a secret anymore everybody was it ever yeah I, I was gonna say i'm pretty sure it never was came up in every single appearance that i've ever had on this thing so <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And he's never been in an episode before, so that tells you something. But an episode that you've talked about. Yes. Correct, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, we have seen him before. We cut back to Apophis, who is busy building a whole new like myth around himself. 
with this you know rising from the underworld of hell to you know to overtake Sokar and all of that jazz. He's done with whatever his last myth was. He's on to his new shtick. Well, he's no longer the Egyptian god Apophis. He's now whatever this is. Apophis, Lord of of Nitu, yeah, soon to be Apophis two point Yes. Speaking of two point we should talk about foreign language titles for this episode because there's some doozies. Okay. Uh, well, first off, the French. As last week, we had French Flames of Hell Part One. So this week, it's Flames of Hell Part Two. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Italians call it Dominations. Mm. The Spanish call it a bad weed never dies. <laughs> Is that their version of the idiom? Yes, that's their version of like a bad penny never turn always turns up that sort of thing. Yeah, Uh, the Czechs call it exorcism of a demon by the devil. Okay, that's just better. It's it's (laughs) quite literal, but okay. Yeah, I I like how the Hungarians say the Hungarians call it more or less the same thing, but it sounds better. They call it the damned devil. So that was actually the first note I took about this episode, is I liked the idea of basically the two bad guys were fighting each other, and our heroes were almost sort of, like, incidental. Yes. They were just caught in the middle of whatever was going on between these two evil guys. Yeah, pretty much. I appreciate that with the uh, Tok'ra plot as well, because I really enjoy this ongoing narrative that it's better to keep a lot of bad guys around than one bad guy around. Mm-hmm. And so our characters by the end of it are like, well, they're just kind of there too, but we have larger things going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our characters just start, you know, in later seasons, we just start killing Gould left and right. Mm-hmm. It's what they do. Oh, yeah. They'll take out like two or three every season. It's just, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll start stopping their way across the galaxy. The humans, I mean. Yeah, not the Tok'ra. No, but they'll have the added benefit of the fifth column and, and uh, you know, other allies. Yeah, so after Apophis does his I am Apophis, I shall destroy, we now get Sokar, who just, wow. He's, yeah. Sokar is extra. Yes. What did you think, Chris? I got, it was like a cross between Emperor Palpatine and something from like the David Lynch Dune movie. <laughs> yes, that's a very <laughs> good description. <laughs> yeah, this is actually only the second time that we have seen Sokar on screen. And the last time, too. Well, okay. we think it's the last time. That's true. We already thought we saw Apophis for the last time. Well, we I mean, we had been, we got dropped a hint yeah. that it was not going to be the last time we ever saw Apophis. And we also had a huge honk in Apophis a few weeks ago. There was also the huge honk in Apophis. Uh, but yes, yeah, so he... Declares his intentions. All the people start cheering for him. Mostly, they come back and he says, "Bring me the woman." So a couple of guards go down to go fetch Sam. Jack stands in their way, and he gets shot in the leg for his troubles. Yeah, you know, like you do. And then Daniel finally puts that stupid bandana to use and uses it to wrap Jack's leg. Yeah, but what do you know? Ben Daniel was not useless. The bandana came in. Just an image of him going, it's called fashion, guys. God. <laughs> no, anyone who wears that floppy hat can't make that <laughs> The floppy hat is so much better than the band Daniel. Yeah, but that's like, that's very much dabbing with faint praise. <laughs> and we're getting very close to the transition to the 
black t-shirt so it's all gonna be better everybody <laughs> uh yeah well i mean it i mean there's def- there's also like things like the season four season five dvds that have like the pouty daniel on the cover <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> giving us a little bit of magnum and then in later seasons we'll have like super ripped daniel working out with teal yeah yeah he's to- he's a total nerd as he's like benching everything it doesn't really <laughs> it works but it's a bit incongruent that's okay <laughs> i appreciate that Daniel does gain like physicality and proficiency with weapons as time goes on. Cause there's any number of like, you'll, you'll see any number of shows where it's like some random nerd gets like pulled into this larger action plot scenario. And it'll be like three or four years later. And the nerd is still like, ah, like, cowering in the corner. Like, af- like afraid someone's going to like look at him wrong. It's like, you're, you're dealing with like every week we have watched you be in situations exactly like this. Take a personal defense class for God's <laughs> sakes. <laughs> well, at this point it's a career path. He's got a decade of this. So I would hope that someone was in a performance review and was like, Daniel, we really got to work on your inability to run to the Stargate <laughs> <laughs> or lift anything. Listen, we have a massive near unlimited budget, but you're really costing a lot. Costing us a lot in bullets with all the times you miss. The bullets cost more than it does for us to turn the lights on. <laughs> so, Sam gets hauled up to meet Apophis, where he reactivates the the memory device. And we have a callback to the very first episode of Stargate SG One, because in the bedroom is the Major Matt Mason doll that Sam talks about playing with in the very first episode of Stargate SG One. See, that's a, that, that's a solid callback. Yes, and I really wish that I could take credit for having seen that, but as anyone who's listened to the show knows, I read it on the Stargate Wiki. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I saw, like, the little astronaut doll. Is that I think that, that is Major Matt Mason, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, we can thank whatever person in the art department who was a super fan of the show was like, this is going to be my moment. Yes. Put it yes. in there. <laughs> and, you know, it's been far too long... Uh, for me to go without a West, Re- a West Wing reference, uh, <laughs> I had found out that the same thing happened with the fishbowl on CJ's desk. They would also they would often plant little things that had to do with that particular episode in the fishbowl. So, like on like the Thanksgiving episode, there'd be like a little turkey in the fishbowl, uh, for example. Nice. Just like just like little little things. But anyway, so Sam is being tortured with the memory device. So the memory device requires you to also drink the blood of Sokar? No. Uh, no, no. The the blood of Sokar is just a hallucinogen. Okay. I mean, I get chatty when I have too much red wine. How about you? <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> For some reason, I remembered it as a truth serum. And then halfway through it, I was like, wait, does this truth serum also just broadcast thoughts? I don't... <laughs> and had to be like, wait, no, it's a bit more than that, isn't it? Yeah. So it, it, you know, so she's playing through this memory of her father coming to her after her mother had died, and be like, hey, you know, are we gonna be okay someday? And then this kind of, kind of like just like re- keeps repeating, and she realizes that something is wrong and weird. And her dad morphs into Apophis, who looks very zombie-like at first, <laughs> because he still has like the red lighting on him from. <laughs> from hell but they're in this like nice brightly lit suburban bedroom i did like the, the glitching when the memories would start to fall apart where it would just be like a record skipping and they would say phrases over and over and over yeah he's apophis is not good at this no <laughs> no he is not 
I feel like they're not good at this ever. Because what was that two-parter? Um, was it Hathor that they tried to like basically do the same switcheroo, but it was much more elaborate? Yeah, it was the end of season two, beginning of season three. Yeah, but they couldn't keep their lies together. All they need is like, <laughs> like they need to do one acting class where like you need to keep to your character here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although in that case, the first episode was more of a clip show, and I'm really glad that we didn't go down that road again with the memory <laughs> device. Like yeah. this could have very easily turned into a clip show while being the Sokar and Apophis hour. Yes, it could have. Uh, did you notice that we, you know, Immersion Broken is a different actor playing? Oh, never mind. That's later. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we cut. Uh, we do like a weird like wipe on the screen, which usually doesn't happen in Stargate. Mm-hmm. They usually don't do like wipes, but like the screen like flashed white or something, and we're, and we're back with with Teal'c, and he's on Farosh. Yes, cool with the Tokra, and he's like, hey, here's the deal. I had to run. I got to add a skedaddle real fast. But big fleet, big problems, team in big danger. Let's go. We again have three Tokra, one of whom speaks. Yeah, that is the Tokra way. <laughs> Apparently. Only 33% of any given Tokra in a room will ever speak. No, because sometimes <laughs> you'll have like lots of Tokra in a room, but still only a few of them will be speaking. I appreciated that I've just started playing Skyrim about eight years later than everybody else, and this Tokra's name is Alduin. And so he was foreboding immediately for me. He doesn't look much like a dragon. No, not quite. But I was like, oh, that's the thing I've heard. <laughs> Not that's a quite. joke that didn't that's a joke that doesn't make sense if I would have heard it ten years ago or like what, thirteen years ago? So either way. Okay. Aldwin says, I need to go talk to the High Council. And we have and we cut back to hell. Oh what the hell. <laughs> yeah. And now it's uh now it's Jack's turn to take a little stroll down memory lane. Yeah, and now we've got like after Jack was force fed the blood of Sokar, like he the I forget the name of Apophis's new first prime, uh, but he's like continuing to grasp his head, like he's got his head in a vice grip for some reason. Well, he had his he had his hand over Jack's mouth, so he can't spit it out. Right, and he has his other hand on his forehead. The yeah, the blood of Sokar scenes were way more violent than I remembered them being because somebody also like shoves a finger into his wound to make him open his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Like, this yeah. is a lot, man. Yeah, yeah, and we don't get any of that with like we don't see that play out with either Daniel or Martuf. No, mm-hmm. and this is your breaking continuity you're talking about. Your yes. incongruity then. Yeah, yeah, we have a different it's actor playing uh, Charlie. Yep, and yes, I did notice. Is that because the first actor just naturally aged out of being a child, or probably? Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's two been years two later years, now. So yeah, probably. It should have been that terrible nineties or... CGI then. Oh. I was waiting for terrible '90s CGI to like transform little Charlie into Apophis. I thought I thought like Apophis. <laughs> like, I, I thought that in all of the memory sequences, it was going to turn into Apophis. That would be the best, or like even better, like little kid body but Apophis head, little kid body and head Apophis voice, That'd be <laughs> and easy enough, and glowy eyes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Charlie's eyes flash. Like, tell me about you know, like, tell me about the planet where you got the thing on your head. Wasn't that cool? Eye flash. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be amazing. And Jack just goes, "Wait a second, something's <laughs> off <laughs> here." <laughs> so one thing that, ju- that 
was weird to me during the Jack memory sequence was that it was like he tried to play catch with his son. And then, like, the son's like, no, 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 and, like, storms off and goes in the house. And then apparently, like, didn't try to reconcile at all. For, like, two weeks, right? Well, yeah, yeah, because then two weeks later, his son kills himself, like, you know, accidentally kills himself with, with Jack's weapon. And it's like, there wasn't another weekend or evening there in those two weeks where you could have played catch or talked. Fair point. I wonder what, I wonder if the writer was trying to do a, like... Um, you know, because for years he's obviously reflected upon this incident and how it's happened. What if this is the moment that he remembers that he blames himself for? As like the, this is where that's probably what it is. Something went wrong here because yeah. we know it was an accident. Like there was nothing. He didn't do anything. Like it was an accident because it was two weeks later. It wasn't like the kid was upset with him in the moment. No, but it shows that the kid is interested, at least somewhat interested yes. in guns. Yes. Well, I mean. Kids are often interested in what their dads do, so right. Yeah, perhaps there could have been an opportunity for like a father-son moment about teaching firearm safety and putting a lock on the gun box. <laughs> yeah, or three. I did think it was the most like terrifying of the memory sequences that we got, though. Like, it would be the one I would least want to relive. I think. Oh yeah, I mean you know because the you know with Sam's it was just having to relive a conversation with her dad about like kind of terms with her mom's death. And then with, with Daniel, it was just like, Hey, so your wife died a little while ago. How are you dealing with it? Like, I mean, they all, I mean, they all, they all deal with, with death, mm-hmm. but yeah, like you, know, but Sam and Daniel's is after the fact, whereas Jack's is the moment that he considers to be what led to his son's death. Yeah. I felt like Daniel's was probably the best the the best one and the one that was more likely to actually work because it felt that one actually did feel natural and did feel like when Jack's like come on you know it's me I just forgot it like yeah. I'd believe that yeah but he would never have called her Amanette. Ooh yes, that's a good point. That was the yeah that was and the that, part. Yeah that's where Apophis screwed up because he's bad at this. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Well, that was the thing that I was laughing about in this when I think Charlie asked him about a gate address. And I was like, he doesn't ever remember the gate address. The second he leaves the planet, it's gone. He doesn't remember any of that. I I doubt he remembers it even when he's on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's not the one dialing. He just, he's like, never pushing he, buttons. Yeah, yeah. He just tells not Walter to dial up <laughs> whatever. And then like someone dials the gate home. <laughs> he's just there to be Jack. After after Jack's uh, memory sequence, though, we are back with Teal'c. I think there was another weird wipe effect. Uh, and uh, Aldwin is back, and he's got like a crate with him, and the crate has a bomb that will blow up the moon so that they can take out Sokar's ship when he inevitably goes to investigate what happened to Binar. But there's a lot of like dominoes that need to fall in this plan. Yeah, this is not the best plan. And they're completely okay with not only blowing up their two operatives and SG-1, <laughs> but all of the prisoners on like on the moon. But he says he feels bad about it. He... Well, at least, uh, as long as he feels bad about it. <laughs> we don't care about the prisoners. They're just extras. Yeah. And how about, like, they're like, well, we have no way to get past the, the shields to deliver the weapon. It's like, how about you just take the same plan? They were like, just take the escape plan. And ring it onto the mothership. Just do that. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a good plan. It's really not. 
I think Aldwin just had the chance to nuke a moon and was like, you know, it's just, I'm just going to take it. How often does that come Respect. around? I mean, yeah, really? right? Yeah. This is my moment. He got his marching orders from someone, right? It, yes, yeah. The Toker yeah, High the, Council. The, the, okay. Yeah, like, this was not his plan. It's just his job to carry it out. Yeah. But yeah, no, like, if you had the opportunity to blow up a moon, not ours, but, like, another different moon. A hell moon. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, a hell moon at that. Yeah, I would totally do it. Wouldn't you? I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't even need to be a hell moon. I, I'll blow up a moon. That sounds sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I blew up hell. Yeah. I mean, that that's a rad line on the resume. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because SG-1 will take the chance to blow up a sun later. I love the idea of a Tok'ra LinkedIn that, like, you have to fill out <laughs> to get these missions. <laughs> Nuke tell. Okay, you're in. I don't, you know, you know, was a discreet operative on board Redacted's ship? <laughs> the whole thing is just Redacted, top to bottom. You have one endorsement of hell nuking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chris, so, so the Tok'ra... They have good symbiotes inside of them. Their whole their whole shtick is they want to bring an end to the Gould, but they're hilariously inept. But at the same time, they also somehow have agents inside <laughs> basically like every like every Gould base or ship seems to have yeah. a Tokra agent in there. And even with all of that, they're still so bad at their like at the like their mission of yeah. breaking down the Gould. Like last episode, we in the first part we discover that Sokar has ten times as many ships as the Toker thought he did. And that's just, like, really bad intelligence work. Yeah. Like, it, it, the first time we meet the Toker, we find out that their population is in decline, and it's like, why don't you ever go on recruiting on recruiting missions? Like, we're going to offer you this thing. It's going to grant you long life and good health, and you'll have, and you'll have increased knowledge and abilities. The only downside is you need to share your like share your body with something else but it's a like it's a true symbiotic relationship between the two of you you're gonna get volunteers also <laughs> immense mortality <laughs> problems at work and you have to live in a cave <laughs> but other than that but you get to okay, grow yeah. that cave yourself with crystals yeah they have cool like crystal caves that can grow and shrink that sounds awesome, but you then have to live in it. So, <laughs> and they have yes, no but... privacy. Like, no, not they, at all. Yeah, because they don't have doors, and they even talk about how privacy is not a thing for them. Well, and it's established in this episode that if you get caught on a hell planet, they will not only like not try and rescue you; they will actively try and destroy the planet while you're still on it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't sign up for that either. They would still get some takers. More, it, it would be a non-zero number. For instance, Sam's father became a Tok'ra because he was dying of cancer and the symbiote healed him. Maybe that is why they're so incompetent, because for the last thousand years, they've only gotten the people that are like, yeah, that sounds great. Let me in. I clearly have nothing better going on. <laughs> Until Jacob Carter came around and immediately like rose up the ranks really quickly, which tells me there were not a whole lot of bright stars in the group. Well, I think they said that Selmak was one of their oldest and wisest, so I think yeah. he immediately got a you know, high on the ranks just because of that. <laughs> but their population is also in decline because they lost their queen many yes. years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And they're loath to steal a new queen. Well, even if they were to steal a new queen... No, you're right, they... you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was, yeah. Anyway, so we're back in the pit. 
Mm-hmm. Jack is saying that they gave him something to remind him of him of the seventies. Yes, I have that marked down as well. <laughs> and then he decides to pass out again. And he he announces that ahead of time, which is polite of him. And they haul off Martouf now to face the music. Uh, and they bring in Sam to be in front of him. And while he's hallucinating, while he's you know while his brain is on blood of Sokar, he sees Sam as Jolinar. Uh, Chris, Jolinar was a Tokra. Uh, who at one time very briefly inhabited Sam and before dying. Okay. But, and Martouf was in a relationship with Jolinar's previous host, Stuart, you might remember the name. Rasha. Thank you. So now you're caught up on that. Mm-hmm. So Martouf sees Rasha. He says he can't, he can't, uh, let them kill her. And he gives them a planet name. Intech. Yeah, he pulls a he pulls a Dantooine. It won't be intact after they attack. That was better than average. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> so when Oldwin is explaining the bomb to Teal'c, he says it'll take twelve minutes to make the moon unstable. How do they know? That is an excellent question. <laughs> like, how how do they have like detailed geologic information about the moon, but not how big Sokar's fleet is? <laughs> and it's the moon that they can't even get to. Right. Like This just goes back to the fact that they went into this mission just being like, Yeah, I mean we'll tell you on the way. We'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then it and then it turns into like, Oh well I guess um whoops, we've learned something new here. <laughs> Gotta go with that. Uh oh. Like I said, they're hilar- they are hilariously bad at their jobs. <laughs> I also like that when Jack wakes up and he's his half of his face is covered in sand. That was nice. <laughs> it's a nice little touch. But yes, sorry, that was I was cutting back a little bit. So here's the other thing about Apophis's plan here, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he takes Samantha first and tries to get her to talk by doing the memory thing with the blood of Sokar. But then she's brought back and she basically tells everybody, "Here's what's going on. Here's yes. what he's going to try to do to you." <laughs> Like, everyone else is mentally prepared to face their memories. So when it, yeah, so when it was revealed that Martouf was lying, Chris, you were like, well, of course he is. He just got coached for the last hour. Yeah, I assumed right. it was, like, Princess Leia and Alderaan or whatever in that movie. Where, like, yeah, of course yeah. he's gonna lie. Presumably we just saw the planet and it was named, because Teal'c is there, and it was not what he said. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he's on Vorash, but... I didn't actually think that was like where the. Well, no, never mind. Because if the High Council's there, then that's where they are. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, I'm so used to like in earlier episodes or anytime they interact with the Tok'ra, it's like with a cutout on like some random ass planet. Like they yeah. can't ever message them directly. They have to be like, well, meet us over here. Standards are slipping once again. Yes. Just come to our home base, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. We trust you, I guess. <laughs> so now it's now it's Daniel's turn to go through the memory fun times. And and you and you were right, Thad. Like this one certainly had the potential to actually succeed. Like he you know, he got him to give up that it was a harcesis. Not that I mean Apophis probably already knew, but he but you know, Daniel Daniel's guard was was down. It was Apophis's plan all along to have one, so yes, he knew that. Well no, of course, but like da- like Daniel's guard was down for that. Yeah, because this was subtle. It wasn't your dead child coming back to like scream at you, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like the like the cl- like before the big slip up with Amanet. The one part that kind of didn't feel like Jack was 
like when and how he had said, well, I've been wrong before. Just like how he said it didn't quite seem like Jack. Yeah. But then, yeah, later, like the big slip up was, you know, hey, where'd Aminette, Aminette take the kid? So, yeah, the part where he said I've been wrong about a lot of things, yes. But the part where he says, I know I, I don't always sound like I believe you, but I do believe in you. I feel like that is something he would have said. <laughs> yeah. I do, too. Yeah, but, you know, then Apophis had to go and screw it up. And, like, the like the very thing that Daniel, like, the last word that Daniel had said before that was Share. Apophis only had to remember the correct name for two and a half seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and then, again, it would have, like, if if Jack had turned into Apophis, that would have been fun. But That would have been fun. No, that they reserved that for just one. They used up their CGI budget, I guess. <laughs> well, no, they had to save it for the end. Yeah. Now and then the uh, the intercom goes off. And Sokar calling. <laughs> uh, hello, hello. This is Sokar. Binar, Binar, are you there? I hate you. Are you there? It's Peter Williams convincingly acting to like a flashing red crystal. It made me yes. laugh a lot. It was great. Yes. Yeah. And so it's like, no, it's me, Apophis, and I have information I want to sell you. Sokar, I've come to bargain. Nice. Apophis says he's going to head off to meet with Sokar and put it, you know, put in motion the rest of his plan, which based on how well he's been doing so far, I'm sure this is going to go swimmingly. Why did he share that plan with his lackey? I know, right? <laughs> like, is he just, is, are they buddies? Like, do they tell each other everything? <laughs> yeah, like, is he so sure that this lackey is like 100% loyal to him and not yeah. going to turn around and call Sokar and be like, yo, dog. Yeah, that was a strange thing. That felt like the sort of thing where, you know, in the where before the villain does his maniacal plan, he reveals his maniacal plan sort of thing. But like yeah. it wasn't even it wasn't even doing it to a person he had captured or anything. It was just doing it to a stupid underling. You sly dog. You got me monologuing. I can't believe it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, he's new at being an evil leader, right? Like this has happened recently? No. He was the original Big Bad. Sokar defeated him, but he used to be a uh, super powerful system lord with, you know, armies of doom and whatnot. Okay, so now he's crawling back to the top in this episode. Yes. Yeah, there's a season two episode where Apophis is dying because he has been, like, hunted and tortured by Sokar. And he comes to the SGC for asylum. He demands asylum, no less. Yes. Well, he demands a word that I think maybe translates to sanctuary or yeah, either sanctuary would... or asylum. Yeah, but anyway, and and he dies. But dirt, like in that, like that was our first hint that Sokar was like a like a solid big bad because he starts like he starts attacking the SGC, and they decide to give Apophis's body back to Sokar. Martuf was there in this scenario as well, and he tells us Sokar's just going to bring him back to life and torture him forever. Hey, look. Yeah. This is the beauty of Stargate, Chris. You can see a body and they might not be dead. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's true for a lot of shows. It's like the Marvel movies. Yeah. You can see them literally in hell and they might not be dead. <laughs> yep. Yes, right. exactly. Yep. Whoever said you had to be dead to go to hell? <laughs> to hell we go. And then nobody laughs. That was a great line. They should have gone in a handbasket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this hand, you know, handbasket one taking off. That's exactly. how they make their escape. It's just a hot air balloon. <laughs> Why not? So, so Apophis goes off to 
you know, bargain with Sokar and Daniel makes a very clever play to steal back the communicator that they had by the expedient method of getting himself punched across the face. Hey, if it works, you go with you go with your you go with your strengths, and Daniel's strength is getting punched in the face. <laughs> it was like we went to an episode of Scooby Doo. You could see it in his hand; and he was being dragged away. It was yeah, we could, but the guards couldn't. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's no. uh, dramatic irony. <laughs> so now we're uh, in Sokar's palace, and the first thing I noticed was that Apophis's faceplate was actually silver. It looked always looked gold in the red lighting. Yeah. And given it's Apophis, I just assumed it was gold. Yeah, Apophis used to be all about the gold. He loved gold. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, well, also, before we get to Sokar's palace, I believe, uh, Teal'c and Aldwin show up, and Aldwin fires the weapon, despite Teal'c's protest. Yes, because they get there and they see that the mothership is over the moon, and... It's time to rock and roll. And conveniently, as just when they get there is when Daniel tries to contact them. Yes. He has They're a, good a really good team. They're a good team. <laughs> They're great. The best. Teal tries to stop Alvin, but Alvin draws a zat on him and does it anyway. So we're, yeah, so we're in Sokar's palace, and Apophis is doing his little bargaining thing, and he's like, but I know where the Tok'ra are. They're on Intac. And Sokar's like, yeah, I just conquered that. There's no Tok'ra there. You're weird. So, and he tells his underling to kill Apophis. That doesn't work Slowly. out so well for the underling. It was going fine until another underling sh- showed up and provided to tell Sokar, yeah. yes, that there's something weird happening on the moon. Yeah. Well, if they had killed him quickly, it would have worked out fine, but he said kill him slowly, and that's where the, <laughs> yes. the trouble happens. That's how it yes, always exactly. happens. That's how it always happens with these people. Yeah. Did you mention last week about how fantastically dressed Sokar's underlings are? <laughs> no, but they really are. Style points. I'm I'm trying to figure out like how they like lift their arms though. Like those unnecessary, that ridiculous. Serve <laughs> okay. a look. You don't need to be functional. Okay. Okay. They're clearly not actually doing anything, so they're just That's there to true. be. <laughs> Alright, so has anyone else here seen the horrifically bad Dungeons and Dragons movie? I have only seen it recapped on Welcome to the Basement, where they make fun of it. Okay, well, Jeremy Irons wears an outfit that has shoulders very similar. Oh, God, God, he does. Trendsetter. Yeah, because that was like a couple years after this, so yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Someone was like, I just saw this really great episode of a sci-fi show. We gotta do this. We gotta do this (laughs) in this really terrible fantasy movie. Yes. They just built the movie around the look, and that's why it was so bad. They had the shoulder pads first. <laughs> oh no! They also built the movie around Jeremy Irons speaking with a with a lisp. My favorite is apparently when asked why he was in the film, he said, "Why do you think I just bought a castle and they're not going to take the Oscar away?" <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm like, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best response ever. <laughs> Such a good answer. <laughs> so the moon is blowing up. And that gives SG-1 the ability to make a daring escape, because we've got the explosive gas coming up out of the moon. Yeah, yeah. Carter has the bright idea to build a little improvised cannon out of, a blank- out of like, a raggy blanket and some rocks. Yeah, because the first thought was a rudimentary lathe, but this works better. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like this is where MacGyvering the situation went to MacGrubering the situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At some point along the way, Teal'c also, like, pun- you know, he also punched the Tok'ra and threw him in the cargo hold. Uh, but I have noted that the Tok'ra was at least helpful once he had heard the rescue plan Yes, by saying that, hey, listen, you need to like get right on top of the beam and hold still if you want to have any hope at all of saving all of your friends. So he's like, he's not being bitter about it. No, he has a sense of fair play. Yeah, he's like, listen, I have a mission to complete. I completed it. We can now try the rescue thing, which I think is dumb, but fine. Well, no, he still would have left. If if Teal yes. hadn't locked him in the back room, he still would have left to save their own skins. Okay, fine. I'm locked in this closet thing, so now we can try the rescue thing. I still think it's dumb, but fine. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, and conveniently, we again have the convenient timing of when SG-1 is ready to beam out, Teal'c is there, and mm-hmm. he zooms in and stops just as they're beaming out, and... Yeah, down to the second. It's... He's got skills. Yeah, like, well, in, in the in in last week's episode, at one point Martouf asked him, you know, are you like you know fully checked out to fly this kind of vessel? And Teal'c's like, yes, of course. So he knows what he's about. Yeah, and he, we, he knows how to handle that weird red orb thing. And we do <laughs> see two uh, ring two rings ring transport things going from the ship to the planet before the moon explodes. Two? Yeah, there were two pulses. Oh, okay. I didn't notice. That I only saw the one. Anyway, the one first one may have just been the lock, the the rings locking in place. I'm not sure. It looks like just the, I think it's just the rings locking in place. Okay, but we definitely see someone got away, and I yes. I feel like they mm. should have just ended it like that. I don't think we should have seen Apophis on the planet. Yeah, it would have been better to leave it with a little bit of mystery, because yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't. If we didn't know who had lived. We would have found out pretty soon because it's not like Apophis would have been able to impersonate Sokar. Right. But I, I like the idea of us not knowing for sure whether it was Sokar or Apophis when the episode ends. Mm. Right. And since this is, you know, highly episodic television, then we wouldn't even find out next week. No. Like, it, it would be a few episodes before we found out, hey, what's going on with Sokar? Oh, well, funny you mentioned Sokar. <laughs> <laughs> And so everyone else on the Hell Planet is just killed. Then, oh yeah, yeah. they're they're toast, and nice. and all the and everyone that was on the the enemy mothership, they're all toast too. And in particular, because it would seem that for this Hell Planet, most of the people who live there are like Instagram quality lifters <laughs> for some reason. Yes, a lot of very well fed people died on that planet. Or that oh movie. yeah, the last thing we get is. Jacob saying, hey, let's take a father-daughter vacation. I hear Alaska is cold this time of year. Isn't Alaska cold every time of the year? What is this, <laughs> Miami Beach? I've, Alaska, parts of Alaska are not cold in the summer. Just deal with the joke, man. <laughs> Jack asked for iced tea, too. That's his first yeah. request. But I think that was, in fact, his joke about why he was saying Alaska. It came dangerously close to that TOS thing where they would end on like a laugh that freeze framed. Yes, <laughs> got a little yes, jokey. Like you almost all just died, and definitely hundreds of people just did. So maybe yeah, give it a second. but they all pissed off Sokar for some reason, so they couldn't have been good, right? They also weren't always called prisoners; they were called denizens. So it's a pretty neutral yeah. term. Like what if I these like, are all just like I like the word denizen. Yeah, but what if these were all just reporters that were critical of Sokar? Like oh, you I believe- just blew up <laughs> a planet of political prisoners. Oh yeah, Sokar's totally against fake news. So, what what everybody think? It was fun. 
I liked it. Yeah. It was action-packed. Everyone got to have a good character moment because of the conceit of them getting hauled away one by one. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. This has the three things that I come to this series for. Mark uh, Go old nonsense with... <laughs> First of all, that's... <laughs> that was number three. Uh, <laughs> number one in my heart, number three on the list. Number one... <laughs> was uh, System Lord and Gaul politic nonsense, because I think it's always really amusing when we dig into that kind of stuff. Uh, the Tok'ra, for how incompetent they are, I love that mm-hmm. they break the sci-fi mold of the monoculture, because we have Gaul and then we have, like, not Gaul but it's kind of the same creature. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, because Martus in it, but right. stepped on that line. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh- yeah, no, and I, I, I thought it does. I, I thought it did really well as a two-parter as well because yeah. the first half is slower paced, and the, and the second one definitely is you know the hits keep coming. So yeah, I really enjoy it. How often do they do two-part episodes on Stargate? Uh, Not super often, like two, maybe three per season. Okay, yeah, and these this is like ninety seasons. Episodes. So these are like twenty twenty-two episode seasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one nice thing about the reveal that Apophis did survive is that we clearly see that he has a foothold on a new empire. Mm. Conveniently, that's our episode next week. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer. You can find a review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, stargateweekly at gmail.com. I'm at Gamicus on Twitter. I'm at Tyrannicus on Twitter. Uh, I'm Muted Horn on Twitter. And I'm at Martoof's only. And no, um, sorry, <laughs> that's my fan page. I am uh, at Benji Nielsen on Twitter. <laughs> and you can follow the show on Twitter at Starkate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>